Well, once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered attack. innocent Islamic people extremists and now Islamic control terrorists. parts of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Newsflash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. Okay, welcome to episode four of The Truth About Muslims, and this is part two uh, of Islamophobia. We're going to be discussing Phil Parshall's lecture that was given at Columbia International University. I really love that guy. That, that, uh, that particular lecture was, I thought, was really provoking and, and intelligent and exciting. Uh, but there was another time that you've heard, well, I've, of course, you've probably worked with Phil Parshall's a lot and and uh, lectured with him, but you, you, were, you had a story about another time that you'd heard him speak. That same topic, actually. The exact same topic. And, and actually, when he came to CIU, we encouraged him to give that lecture from the chapel. And right. he kind of thought, are you sure you remember what happened last time I gave this lecture? And I thought, different <laughs> audience, different audience. Um, but yeah. So he's, he's kind of wary from the get-go. Yeah. Un- understandably so. Right. The first time that, that I heard that lecture given was in a church setting, and it did not go over well. All right, so what was that? What so, happened? Uh, there was a church, um, I won't say the denomination or name, but we were asked to give uh, a lecture series um, and uh, there was three of us. It was myself, Dr. Warren Larson, and Dr. Phil Parshall. Right. We went, and they said, could you give us a lecture series starting on Friday? We'll do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all the way through uh, helping the church to understand uh, Muslims so that we might reach out to them with the gospel. Right, and that's kind of what you do at churches on the weekends sometimes, right, when they invite you. Right, you yeah. It was, a, it was kind of a, it wasn't quite a missions conference, but more of a missional focus, and it was their their annual missional focus and they wanted to focus on reaching muslims and so right. they they uh hired this wimmer center to take that over and that's what we did we went uh all of our families actually my wife and kids uh warren and carol and phil and julie we all met there and we put together this uh what we thought was a dynamic program wow and uh, i've heard and i've heard all of you speak and you guys are all very very good and so we uh i think if i remember correctly warren went first and talked a little bit about diversity in islam uh, I went second, talked about basic belief and practice and evangelism, and then uh, Phil Parshall went third with uh, the lecture that you just heard um, in part one of this podcast. Okay, so? Well, on the, let's see, it was Sunday evening, actually, I believe, we did a, uh, a panel, panel discussion. Oh, right. And so I was the moderator, and uh, we, we kind of felt like, you know, it's not a huge huge church. Why don't we just do kind of an open discussion? People can ask questions. And uh, the the pastor insisted that we write down the questions. Yeah, I can see where this is building. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was naive. Um, I think I probably should have known better, but the pastor said, you know, let's write down the questions. Trevor, you moderate, make sure that the questions are appropriate. And I thought, what wouldn't be an appropriate question? (laughs) Well, you've done this before though, right? Yeah, I mean, I could understand moderating for a huge crowd because you never know who's in the crowd, but this is a pretty, uh, you know, less than a hundred people. It's a smaller church. Right. And, uh, but anyway, nevertheless, we, we took the pastor's advice. We moderated and I'm glad that we did. So, uh, okay. So, um, I got, what, what was the question? Well, you know, the, it was the, the, the question. There was only one, um, that was bad. Most of them were pretty basic, you know, uh, 
Phil Parshall mentioned something about Islamic contributions to the West. Uh, what are some of those contributions? And so okay. Phil answers, gives some different things about the uh, sort of golden age of Islam. Uh, you know, Warren Larson mentions this about diversity, share a little bit more about women in Islam and give that perspective. And then all of a sudden I have this question and I skip over it. And I didn't think anybody saw me, but <laughs> but Phil saw that I skipped over it. And so as the time came to an end, he came over to me and he said, hey, can I see that stack of cards? And I said, why? <laughs> You're trying to slip one in the back pocket. I was. I was. And he said, what, what was that question that you skipped? And I said, oh, you saw that? And he said, yeah. Why, why would you skip a question? I said, I just didn't think it was appropriate. And he said, what was it? And I said, don't worry about it. <laughs> And he said, I would like to see the question. And uh, so I, I pulled it out and I showed it to him. And the, the question basically was, are, does everybody who works with Muslims, are they all as uh, anti-American as Phil Partial? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, so you can imagine why I skipped over it. And Phil actually was, he had wished I had asked the question because he felt like I don't see how they could have brought together anti-American with what he he had said. So when we asked him to give this lecture a second time, um, we felt different audience, different perspectives. And uh, fortunately, we did have a different response. This particular church that we did this program for and this particular lecture for, we ended up getting a letter actually later from the pastor. Wow. That Yeah. Uh, you shared some of that with me before and uh, it's heartbreaking. I was really kind of sad, saddened uh, by the response. Well, go ahead. So, so was the pastor. I mean, he was, he was crushed. And one of the reasons that he was as disappointed as he was, was leading up to our presentation about reaching Muslims. He had been preaching out of the book of Jonah. Right. Which is, uh, man, that you see all these parallels in the themes in, in, in Jonah, uh, especially with how Jonah's response to the Ninevites, like he was not interested in reaching out to those people. No, and when you ask uh, people in church, so what was the reason that Jonah didn't want to reach the Ninevites? Why did he flee from the Lord when the Lord called him to go and preach to the Ninevites? Everybody sort of has this Sunday school answer of, well, he was afraid. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. Like, uh, if you're considered uh, a prophet at that time and, and needing to go to a city and proclaim uh, the word of the Lord, and you know, you know that these are not good people. No, and by all means, if we want to think of ancient Near Eastern terrorist, you would think of the city of Nineveh. I mean, right. another podcast that I really appreciate is, is Hardcore History. He has uh, an excellent um, series on the Ninevites, of all people, the Assyrians. Really? Yes. I got to listen to that. Yeah, it's excellent. And he talks about the in, in the uh, writings of the Assyrian kings, you can see some of the things that they would do. They would flay people alive. Wow. They would fillet them, and then they would put them on pillars of stone, and they would behead people and put that on a pillar of stone, and then they would do just modern day what we would consider acts of terrorism to inflict terror and fear of all the people that might see the kingdom of Nineveh and the city of Nineveh and the kingdom of Assyria. That's what they were doing. So I could understand why somebody might think, well, Jonah didn't want to go because he was afraid, but I think they're wrong. Right. You know, uh, something else that just kind of popped into my mind as you were kind of telling that is that uh, the Ninevites weren't Jews. You know, and so this is a totally different group of people that God commands Jonah to go speak to. That's interesting. Well, that's the that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, in the very end, when he says, you know, you've 
you're so upset about the destruction of this plant, which, by the way, is a castor bean plant. I just want to point out that the name castor is in the Bible. That's right. Um, it's biblical. <laughs> so I was anyway, like a chair caster where you roll around and caster. But anyway, anyway, uh, sorry, sorry for the side note. Um, but you know, you're you're so disappointed about this destruction of this plant, and uh, what about the people of Nineveh? And how long have they been on the mind of God? Right, and. Uh, and, and that bean plant that, that you so mentioned, uh, that was basically just, you know, covering Jonah, actually, you know, doing a, doing a work as far as, uh, you know, shading him, helping him, right? And then it, and it dies, and, and that's not even a life of a person, right? And so I, I don't know, I, get, I, think, I guess what you're getting at is that it does give us a really good illustration of just how uh, Jonah's priorities were completely out of whack. He didn't care about souls, didn't care about people at that time. Well, Nineveh, the Ninevites specifically, he cared more about a, a plant. Yeah. Right. And so somebody might say, well, when are, when are the Ninevites mentioned in Scripture other than Jonah? And, well, moving forward, we see that eventually the, the kingdom of Assyria is used as the rod of God's judgment against the Israelites. So that's a bit bizarre. And I'm sure, you know, there's the potential there where somebody might say, well, what was God doing with the Ninevites? And then later going to use them as a rod of his judgment. But if you look back, Nineveh is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 in the Table of Nations Nineveh has never not been on God's heart. Wow. I never knew that. I never, I never uh, looked at in, the, in those kind of details. That's, that's interesting. So thinking about it in a term of the lens of the mission of God, you have to recognize that, one, um, when God calls us to do something, it might not be about us. <laughs> you know what I mean? God, yeah. might, God might be wanting to do something among the Ninevites so that they might know him. Right. And I think partial hits that the nail on the head. Like it's really, really hard to love people that are just so different than us. I mean, I just find that, uh, with, with, uh, Muslims, especially here, we're that's what we're talking about. I mean, you're talking about a group that we don't understand, uh, as a general population of, of Americans, um, that aren't Muslim, you know, cause obviously we have many Americans that are Muslims, but, uh, not understanding them, you know, uh, I love the word, uh, that uh, partial uses was uh, demonized. We demonize people. It's it's almost like propaganda. You know these old war machines, like in World War Two, World War One, and uh, we would uh, character uh, caricaturize people. There it is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah just stumbled across that one. But you know, like you, you know, we're we're making a mockery of people that that aren't really true images of of who these people are, what they're like. And so, with that misunderstanding, we demonize people. And, uh, and it's hard to, it's, you know, uh, Phil Parshall says it's impossible to love, you know, someone that you demonize who wants to yeah. embrace a <laughs> who demon. Who wants to embrace a demon. I love when he, right. when he says that, who wants to embrace a demon? No one. But that's why I say that, that even this idea of Jonah, and I think why that pastor was so disappointed that his own flock responded so negatively to this message. And, and I'm not saying they responded negatively because of that one question after we left, uh, the pastor had sent around a, uh, a, question, a survey, a yeah, questionnaire yeah. about the weekend. What did you think about the weekend? Um, you know, we would like to, the pastor had a heart to be able to support the Zwemer Center's ministry. Um, and the questionnaire came back and he said there was an overwhelmingly negative response to our presentation. Now, now is that common in, in these things that you've, you've done in the past? I mean, is that... It's was, mi it's mixed. I was mean, it, I, was that a shock to you? Was that a blow to you? Well, that, that's when I was very new in doing uh, doing this. I had just finished my degree, uh, my graduate degree in Islamics, and that was one of the first weekend seminars that I had participated in. And so it was a shock, and it was a blow to me, and it was um, very discouraging. But when I looked at 
these older mentors and the way that they responded, I recognized that this is just par for the course and we have to keep going forward and, and challenging people to love and reach out to Muslims regardless of the response. Wow. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's pretty courageous. I don't know if I, you know, every time I went to a church, it was a 50, 50 and I'd, I'd get beat down or, or, um, or, or you know, abused or, or, you know, it, it was, uh, um, yelled at or what, whatnot. Like, I don't know how long I could keep doing that, but you know, you guys are doing this tremendous work, just trying to open people's eyes. When I think it's, it's recognizing that the, this Jonah syndrome, that's what we're going to call it. The Jonah syndrome, this idea that, uh, Jonah, it wasn't that he was afraid, and I, and I get I get why some people may be afraid to reach out and love and love towards Muslims. Maybe they are afraid, and I understand where that's coming from. I could see where the fear, um, why it would be there. However, there are those that it's not that they're afraid of Muslims; they actually just don't like Muslims. Right. And that's why I say it's a little bit of a different thing with the Jonah syndrome. I think people are wrong when they say that well, Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh. Um, he was he was fearful of what they might do to him, and so of course he fled from the Lord. Nineveh was so wicked, but that's not what the text says. Right, and I think that gives off the wrong impression. I mean, I think that uh, all of a sudden Jonah doesn't become applicable to our situation, when I think God was really just giving us an image of our own heart. You know, just this this lack of love that needed to be there, especially aligning ourselves with the Lord's heart as we call ourselves Christians. Exactly, and we have the same issue today, and I say we. Um, that Jonah had, and that was uh, when the Lord is merciful to the city of Nineveh after well, what might be the, the you know, worst evangelistic message ever, you know, turn, turn or burn message of Jonah, <laughs> right. but the, the Lord makes care. it effectual. <laughs> he did not care. <laughs> right, but he, he's angry with the Lord, and what does he say in the text? I mean, it's not that, you know, I didn't want to come here because I was afraid. Mm-hmm. He says, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you would be gracious and compassionate, right? That's, he that's knew amazing. that the Lord would be slow in anger. He knew that the grace of God would come down for the Ninevites, and he is angry about it. And you know what? I understand why he would be so angry. I understand why sometimes Christians get angry because they think that person doesn't deserve the mercy of God. I can get that. I can resonate with that. Right. Jonah, you know, as a prophet, he would be considered, um, you know, a lover of the law, a lover of righteousness. Right. And then he sees such a wicked people and he knows that when God commands them to go, that, you know, if they respond, if they repent, all of a sudden they're going to receive the mercy. And, And so for us, I mean, like as as Americans that that watch in horror as they look at ISIS and and uh, maybe some of these other terrorist acts that we've seen that, that have been done in the name of Islam. Um, I think it's really hard for us to receive the idea that God would save them. Like, do we want them to be saved? Well, I mean, here's the shift. This is the shift that we all have to make. You are absolutely right when you question whether or not a person deserves the mercy of God. They don't. Right. There is not a single person on the planet that deserves it. However... How much worship does God deserve? Right. That has to be the shift. You have to look at a person and say, do they deserve the mercy of God? No. Does God deserve that person's worship? Most certainly. Right. And so we have to have a shift where we look at it. And that's what God is basically bringing to Jonah's attention by saying, you know, how long have you cared for this plant? You did nothing. 
right. to bring it about. It's not even yours. Not really. But yet how many people are there in this city, in this city that's been on the heart of God since Genesis chapter 10? Yeah, I think it's so it's so uh, such a trap, a common trap for us as human beings, not just, you know, Muslims, Christians, whatnot, but to be man centric. And I think that uh, scripture is consistently reminding us that it's really about God. And then once we realize that uh, we look at scripture differently, we read it differently, we respond to it differently. And I think that's, you know, kind of what Phil Parshall is saying. I mean, like in his in his lecture, you know, he, he challenges us to look beyond you know, our politics or look beyond our, our, our upbringing or what we've been taught in school that doesn't line up with scripture. I mean, our enemies, we're supposed to love our enemies, turn on, turn the cheek. And, and, uh, in practice, it seems like it's much, much more difficult. We can say it in Sunday school and have our little flanographs and stuff, but to really, really live that out day in and day out, I think is, uh, is the difficulty. Well, I think it, we're, we're much more comfortable with the idea of, well, Lord, so should we call down hellfire upon these people? Right. I love the disciples' response to Jesus whenever they're, <laughs> they're not welcomed into a town. Like, I got an idea, guys. Right. <laughs> Gather around. We're going to burn this thing down. <laughs> they're looking at the Lord to say when. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can call this down. I'm your huckleberry. Right. That's Peter right there. I love so, that guy. So, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the challenge. That's where we all get stuck. We, we want to see um, the justice of God so long as it's working for us. And right. we want to see the mercy of God so long as it's working for us. And when God wants to be merciful to somebody that we might not think deserve it deserves it we forget how quickly when god was merciful to us how much we didn't deserve it as well right i want to apologize beforehand but you know i just want to talk about the politics a little bit just a, just a smidge okay i mean this is not a political show but i just feel like christians are kind of trapped they're trapped in their political parties and mix jesus in and it becomes a pretty lethal uh dose of of uh spite, anger, uh, vehemence, and every, and both sides have it. I mean, just watch Fox news and CNN and you got Christians that are like right wing, you know, Republicans. And, and of course you mix Jesus in there. And all of a sudden, you know, you speak out against Muslims and, and, uh, and tend to be on the bigot, bigot line, you know, and, and on the left wing Christians are, are calling the, the right wing Christians bigots and, and uh, they tend to be on, kind of on the on the soft side where they don't uh, they don't deal with the real issues at hand, kind of like the Ben Affleck uh, debate. And I just kind of feel like, you know, God's calling us to be far above all of that stuff. You know, and I, I you know, I don't know, maybe from the pulpit people are saying it, but in, in the in the in the media, it just seems like, man, the Christians are just we're pushed into these parties and feel like we have to be stuck there. But I think God's calling us higher than that. You know, the the, the real biblical mandate, you know, which is um you know, trying to reach these, these Muslims for Christ, for Jesus. Right. Well, I, th I think that we, uh, we can easily be, we could have our vision clouded by maybe even a, a misguided sense of, of patriotism or a misguided sense of political activity. Um, those things are not in and of themselves wrong, but when those things trump what we know that we're called to, which is the love of God and the love of neighbor, I mean, that is the, the two commandments on which the entire law of the, of the prophets hang. Right. So if we allow anything, whether it be political involvement or patriotic um, involvement or anything, really, um, to trump our love of God and our love of neighbor, and of course, who is my neighbor— when Jesus is asked the question, who is my neighbor? We end up with a pretty radical view of who the neighbor is. Right. I mean, we're supposed to love our enemy. And so 
to the person who wants to argue that, well, you just don't really understand Islam. And I've heard it from people. I mean, I'm looking at them and they're saying, you don't really understand Islam. And I ask them, well, teach me, help me to understand what is the real nature of Islam. And they go on about what true Islam is. And they explain to me how all Muslims really are um, these wicked people. And then I think to myself, okay, even if you're right, and I don't think you are, even if you're right, let's say that all Muslims are what you think they are. They're the enemy. What should our Christian response be? Right. It doesn't change. And you'd mentioned before the show about behavior not having to do with our response. I mean, people's behavior, like the Ninevites, they were evil. They were wicked people. It doesn't change Jonah's responsibility, what God had called him to do, right? No, not at all. And I love the fact that even as he flees, and we often forget about this part of the story of Jonah, we think it's, I don't know why, but we we tend to make all of our Old Testament narrative stories about, you know, kind of children's stories. Right, Fisher-Price, Noah's Ark, you know, the the world's being destroyed, but all of a sudden it's a bathtub toy. There you go. Or a big whale. This is a story about a big whale and a man living living in a fish for three days. I mean, granted, that's a pretty amazing part of the story, but what about the ship that he's fleeing on? How quickly do we forget that as he's on this ship and the ship is getting ready to go down in this uh, horrific storm, Jonah's response is, and this is why I say I don't think he was afraid, Jonah's response is, just throw me overboard. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not death that he's really concerned about, right? And they're, they're also trying to figure out which God have we offended? What's going on? And they recognize it is the God of Jonah. Right. And as they throw him overboard, what do they recognize? This is the one true God. Right. This is a missional text. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even in the story, like Jonah's not interested in seeing people come to the Lord, obviously, but it's happening because of his life. He it's happening leaves. despite him. Right. Because God's <laughs> like, no, 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 I'm still doing my thing, man. <laughs> it's never changed. That's what I love is that despite us, God's still able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish despite us. And so, so sometimes I think... Um, we we miss it, but we still have a chance to stop, turn around and look at it and say, okay, what is God's view here? How would God want me to respond? If I'm overwhelmed with fear because of what I see in the media, I don't know that that's the motivation you want to begin to draw your theology on how you want to respond to right. 1.5 billion people. And it doesn't fill you with faith. You know, like when you look in scripture, anytime these men, uh, these godly men, these examples that we have, uh, that have, you know, had tumultuous times, a war, a, 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 a army coming in, invading. What they do, like I'm, I'm reminded of Hezekiah in the temple, he just lays out the letters that he's receiving, that he's about to be annihilated, him and, and his uh, his country is about to be annihilated. And he lays it before the Lord and he, you know, just lays out the letter and says, God, see? But then he starts to do this thing where he just starts to talk about who God is and the character uh, uh, of God and how he's faithful and, and how he uh, um, is going to save and, uh, and I don't know, I, I just feel like we as Christians need to be constantly putting in front of us uh, who God is and not about our plight and the issues that, that we're dealing with um, without God, you know, just trying to do it on our own strength, like trying to solve this ISIS issue. Obviously, this is a spiritual thing, man. You know, there, there's some wicked things being done. And I think our response needs to be uh, uh, Christ-centered. Um, as opposed to just the way the world kind of deals with everything. Let's bomb him, just like Obama when he's, he just aided uh, some of the rebels um, uh, by giving them arms to fight against uh, ISIS. I mean, that's, that's a world's response. Yeah, it's a tough right? thing. It's a tough thing to kind of look at what's going on in the world and not be discouraged, but I think it's because with the media now, we can see what's happening in the world, and some of these things are just so far beyond our control that we're left in a very deep sense of despair. But... 
there really is something we can do, right? I mean, we can pray. Right. We can pray for Christians that are suffering at the hands of radicals, and we can pray for the persecutors. We can pray for world leaders, and we know that God uses governments to uh, bring justice, and that God sets up kings, and God de- deposes kings, and that God is, uh, you know, has the, the king's heart he can turn as a river, as the scripture says. So, I mean, I don't think we have to have total despair. I don't think we have to be discouraged, but we do have to recognize um, that we do have a role in praying. We have, a, we have a role to pray for our leaders, to pray for other world leaders, to pray for uh, people who are persecuted, and to pray for the persecutor. Right, and I think that in turn gives us a heart for the people that we're we're praying for, yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. It, even if they're enemies, right? So, hey, but uh, let's parse out that question a little bit. Uh, what What do you think? And I know this is just your perspective, but what do you think that uh, Partial was saying, or you, or or Larson was saying that uh, would come across as anti-American? Well, I mean, when I'm just in when I was listening to um, this lecture again. Um, this was given four years ago, and I think we had about five years ago is when we spoke in that church together. And uh, I, I think the comment about the war in Iraq was probably not received well because he does mention that we're fighting a war um, that he didn't think we would win. Right, and anytime we come at, call into question our victories, right? And then that would be... Um, Anti-American. Yeah, exactly. Anti-patriotic. But on the other hand... Here we are five years later and we have Iraq and we have ISIS and it is a disaster and it is uh, one of those things where it's very discouraging. I'm, I'm certain. I mean, I have family members that are in the military and I'm sure that those who have served and given uh, all their time and maybe even some of their lives, um, it's difficult when you see things not go the way that you thought they would and you don't see uh, an opportunity for justice and you don't see a place better than when you when you came in. Earlier, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think what Phil Partial was just sort of getting at is people have a difficult time hearing the Muslim perspective. Do you know what I mean? I mean, at the very beginning, he says, I'm going to help you understand their worldview. Right. And uh, something I was thinking about as I was listening to Partial, it was like, it, 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 if you come into this thinking, you know what, he's just putting blame on us or, or me or, uh, or our heritage, um, I think we're kind of missing the point. I don't think Partial is trying to say, you know what, it's your fault, it's your fault, because you know our natural response will be like, well, well they did this, and that still keeps us in that, that tumultuous uh, uh, place, not really of coming to understanding, but just, con- uh, just clarifying, you know, dividing lines. But I think what Partial was really wanting to get at is like, hey, let's understand where they're coming from what they what they've been through, what they think, and that'll help us in our response to them in a good way, not in a not in a negative way. Yeah, and and also um, any any reference whatsoever that would suggest that we've had any role in in perpetuating sort of the 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 radicalism of Islam would be seen as uh, has been responded to very negatively. Right, understandably so. Right. And so it's like we're creating this monster that uh, we have to deal with now. Exactly. And so I think people have a hard time viewing things in light of history for us uh, as Westerners. We don't tend to think in historical terms about something that might have happened so many years ago. Um, We are a little bit more forward thinking towards the future, maybe than some other parts of the world. Right. But the Muslim world does tend to take a full account of history when they uh, decide things. And so even hearkening back to the Crusades, 
I think some people are, are probably frustrated. Well, what does the Crusades have to do with anything? And so, right. but as far as the Muslim world is concerned, you know, after 9-11, uh, our president, George W. Bush, came off of a helicopter at Camp David, and you can go uh, check it out on YouTube if you want. It's become propaganda these days for uh, recruitment, but he did step off the helicopter and say that this, uh, this crusade is going to take a while. Wow. So that's a that's a loaded term. Now I'm certain right. Yeah, I'm certain that he didn't have any agenda there with using that term. Right. He was just using it as a term, just you know, just something off the top of his head or or whatnot, and then all of a sudden it can be skewed in any any direction. Right. And it wouldn't be hard to turn that into propaganda. And so when you look at it from the Muslim worldview, how are these things being perceived? Well, that's important. It's important to see how they're perceiving things. And then maybe that would give us some more compassion um, and see that they're also just people that are trapped and, and being told something by their own uh, media outlets. And I hope that that would produce some understanding and some compassion. I think that understanding people, understanding their perspective does, or at least it should, reduce fear. Right. And that demonization that we talked about earlier with Partial, um, I really think that people have a hard time... Um, understanding or even the attempt to understand these people whenever they are demonized and and we need to start recognizing that uh, that ISIS is not all Muslims right and of course we've talked about that a bunch but uh, but it's still a reoccurring thing that people have to deal with in their hearts that uh, radical Islam is not the same as uh, maybe your Muslim neighbor and and something that I wanted to bring up is uh, relevant magazine I don't know if you've ever seen it but you can look oh, up I know relevant yeah right relevant magazine just put out this article about and why we need to have more Muslim friends. There you and, go. And it was really neat. It, it was basically about what Parshall was saying about uh, uh, reducing that, that demonization of, of Muslims, just like, you know, reducing fear, just like Trevor, like you just said, and, uh, and just being able to understand and, and see them as real people. And I thought that was pretty cool. I think that that's the, the best advice, um, and that is to go visit your local mosque, mm -hmm. get to know the imam, um, get to know uh, some Muslims in your community. Um, ask your kids, especially if you've got kids that are in high school. I don't find that, because um, I teach undergraduate students a lot, and I don't find that these 18 and 19-year-olds are as stuck as some of the, uh, the the previous generation is. Right, because they know kids. They've, they've grown up with Muslims. They've played soccer with Muslims. Right. They've uh, gone to, you know, high school parties and, and hung out with Muslims, and so they... they they've, it sounds really bad, but I mean, they've humanized Muslims as right. if they needed to be humanized. I even feel bad saying it, but for them, it's not as big of an issue because there hasn't been sort of this, uh, this worldview of what does a Muslim look like been given to them by the media. They've actually, they have personal experience that would combat some of the things they've been told. Right. So can we do that as a, as a kind of a challenge on our podcast? Just like, I think so, hey, you know, make some Muslim friends and, and expect backlash. I mean, that's not from the Muslims. No, no, from, I don't think you're going to get it from the Muslims. I right. tell people all the time, um, the most, the, the place I'm most comfortable talking about God is actually around Muslims because they like to talk about God. Right. And you had said something about, uh, uh, how we need to understand, uh, the, the religion of Islam right? To be able to relate more to, yeah. to Muslims. Yeah. No, that was Samuel Zwimmer was saying that, that the chief difficulty of reaching Muslims is a, a lack of understanding of their religion. So their beliefs, their practices, um, the, the Hadith, the Sunnah, the way of the prophet, the, the things that Muhammad said or did or gave approval of by, 
um, in the Hadith, and then also the uh, the the life of Muhammad, and then also finally the social aspects of their religion. Oh, and of course, their beliefs in Jesus, and so the Muslim conception of Christ. And he said in order to really have an effectual ministry with um, reaching out to Muslims, you have to understand the full breadth of these things so that you can, one, build bridges, but two, also understand where they're coming from and their own beliefs. Right, and uh, and that's because they're so their faith is so integrated, right, in who they are, their worldview, their perspective. It, it can be for sure, um, and which makes it easier for us to speak about God because that's generally what they're going to be talking about or thinking about or dealing with, right? I think so. I mean, we right. will do a whole another podcast talking about the the, con, the Muslim conception of God and the Christian conception of God. I think that's something that we we need more time to talk about, but right. definitely. It's, it's a whole lot easier to talk to a person about God when you know where they're coming from about God. And so and that is not to say that go read a book on Islam and then go tell a Muslim what they believe. Um, <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm of the mindset that the best strategy that you can have is not telling somebody um, what they believe, but rather sitting across from them and asking them, so what do you believe? Right, <laughs> become a student. Right, exactly. Right. Ask good questions. Ask them. It doesn't matter what you know about Muhammad. Right. It matters what the person sitting across from you knows about Muhammad. Right. And of course, you know, be a friend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people get kind of crazy with evangelism where they think they just have to beat them in a debate. And that, that's not what we're saying here. No, I think a really good open door is just basically to say, especially for Muslims in America, just to say, you know, I've heard so much about Islam from so many different people. I would really love to hear about Islam from a Muslim. Would you take some time and just kind of help me understand a little bit about your life, a little bit about your beliefs? Um, that would really be a great service to me. And you know what? I think that would just make the day of most of the Muslims I've known. Right. Because how many times have they just seen the media represent them? Right? Exactly. Incorrectly. Right. And uh, them just being... You know, just like Ben Affleck says, just wants to go to school, never punches women, just wants to eat some sandwiches. You know, like, come that's on. That's going to be one of my favorite quotes from now on. Right. I just want to eat some sandwiches. just want to eat some sandwiches. I mean, that's it, you know. And uh, and yeah, so that that's kind of our challenge. So we're going to put that out there, like make some Muslim friends and expect backlash from family and, and just kind of let that open your eyes too. Don't be surprised. Yeah, just, visit, visit your local mosque. I think yeah. you'll find that most of the imams are very open to having guests. I've never uh, had a negative experience at a mosque, and I've visited most of the times I go to a town. The first thing I do is go to the local mosque, and I've had positive receptions at just about all of them. I can't think of a place I've ever had a negative reception in a mosque. Right, and I've been to mosques all over uh, the world, actually, Southeast Asia especially, and I've never had a bad reception. I've actually always been offered tea or food. There you go. Or, really good food. Right. And we just hang out and talk and they're, 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 um, well, they're not, they're not mean or any of the, I mean, they're just, we just talk and hang out and it's actually great. So let me give some instructions for those of you that are thinking about, well, I guess I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Right, let's, let's see, see how that. this goes. goes. Yeah. So what I would encourage you to do is look up online, visit your local mosque website, um, and uh, you're going to see on Friday is the Juma prayer time. It's probably going to be around 1.30 on a Friday. That would be the equivalent to a Christian Sunday morning service. I would encourage you to go to that particular time just because that's when you're going to meet the most Muslims. That's the equivalent of the Sunday morning worship service, the Friday afternoon service around 1.30. Check the, the website, and then if, if it were me, and this is what I tend to do, if I'm going to be in a place for a couple days, I'll visit the mosque on a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon 
uh, on my own, uh, if somebody's with me, the two of us, and we'll go to the mosque, and I'll just ask the imam, what, you know, I'm new to the area, uh, I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian, but I just really wanted to get to know some people here, I've uh, studied some about Islam, you can even use this podcast as an excuse, say, I was listening to a podcast, they encouraged us to visit a mosque, um, and then ask the imam, would it be okay if I come this Friday, and then, you know, just to receive permission. Now, if you're a female, um, I would encourage you, and I think the imam is probably going to encourage this as well for you to wear uh, a head covering. Don't, don't, don't get all upset about wearing a head covering. And right. in, in reality, it's just a, it's a head covering. Right. It's a piece of cloth. <laughs> yeah. Just be okay with it. Um, go to the, the mosque and ask them, and you can ask the imam, should I wear a head covering? Um, and if he says he would appreciate it, if I were you, I would I would do what would be appreciated because you are a visitor. Right. So uh, ask if you can visit the mosque. Uh, typically, the women are going to have their own room. Um, ladies, I would encourage you to uh, go to that area. Obviously, don't don't try to push an agenda that you want to sit with the men. Um, be respectful of the way in which the the service happens. And so, m- women will go to one side, men will go to another. Um, dress appropriately, men, you need to wear, uh, I'd say just a pair of khaki pants, uh, button up shirt would be good. You don't have to wear anything in particular. Um, you're going to remove your shoes when you get to the mosque. Um, you don't have to perform any of the ritual washing. I would guess the imam will help you understand this, but you don't have to perform any ritual washing. You just go into the mosque, you sit in the back. The reason that you sit in the back is that after the imam does the call to prayer, somebody will give the call to prayer. There will be uh, the, the Friday sermon, um, will be preached and it's very interesting. People will continue to come and go as the Friday sermon is being preached and just sit in the back because after the sermon is preached, then they're going to have their prayer time. And when they form their prayer lines, it would be inappropriate for you to be included in the prayer lines. Cause that is a time for just the Muslims to be in solidarity with one another lined up. Right. So sit in the back and just, uh, you can stay and watch if you like. Um, I've never, I've, I don't believe it's ever been communicated to me that it's offensive to stay and watch. Actually, I think the Muslims have asked me several times, just come join in, you know, join in the prayer line, but I wouldn't want to do that. Um, I feel like that would be deceptive. I would be communicating to them that I'm Muslim and I'm not. And so afterwards, that's usually a conversation. Why didn't you pray? And I say, well, I'm I'm a Christian. And then that usually turns into a very interesting discussion. Right. And then what about the uh, call to prayer? Some people might have some reservations about uh, being there, um, when they are speaking uh, in, in the call to prayer, or singing, actually, what are they actually singing there? Oh, yeah. Shall I give a call to prayer? <laughs> uh, you're just going to hear please, God please. is... No, 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 no. Please, please. Just a little little no. snippet. I can't do it. Just for the audience. So you'll hear Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and it's sung. It sounds like they're saying a bunch of different things, but they're really just saying Allahu Akbar four times. God is great, God is great, God is great, God is great. Um, let's see if I can remember all this. Uh, there is no God, but God, Muhammad is the messenger of God. Um, God is calling you to pray. God is calling you to success. Um, oh, I'm missing a line here. And then again, it closes with Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So yeah, obviously it's, you know, there's going to be something that would be a troubling for, for Christians, of course, right? Recognizing Muhammad is a messenger of God. But other than, other than that, um, there's nothing going on there that I've never, um, got the sense that it should make you uncomfortable. Um, they don't believe everything that we believe. Of course, that's, that's a given. Um, but I think it's okay to at least hear where they're coming from. Now here's, I'll, I'll make this caveat. If you have a sensitive conscience, 
And I think if you feel like I don't want to visit another place of worship that would make me uncomfortable, I think you should listen to your your own conscience on that one. Don't don't feel like we're saying that you need to go and do this. Um, But on the other hand, I don't think going to a mosque and just hearing what they believe and and hearing a sermon and getting to know Muslims is somehow a compromise of your own faith. Right. So anyway, we we take students to the mosque every semester, and on a rarest of occasion, I'll have a student say, I'm just uncomfortable reading the Quran, I can't really write this paper, or I'm uncomfortable visiting the mosque, and my immediate response is, I completely understand, and uh, let me come up with an alternative assignment. And usually what I'll do is find a uh, a Muslim-hosted dinner or something at the university that they could attend instead. Right, which is another option too. Absolutely. I've, I've, there's plenty of uh, opportunities to get to know um, Muslims. And I think it's until you've done that, until you can say, I have met a couple different Muslims and I've got some good Muslim friends, I think it would be uh, a snap judgment to begin making decisions about what you think of Muslims. Right. And even if you're a college student, uh, a lot of universities, I think most actually, would have like a, mo- um, a Muslim program. Yeah, a Muslim, uh, Muslim Student Association would right. probably be there. Um, Where they would have like dinners and there other you go. Stu- and, yeah. and actually, they, uh, from what I understand, they encourage uh, people that are not of the Islamic faith to come and, and see what they're all about. Yeah, every every university is going to have something like that. It may not be an, a Muslim student association, but probably an international student association, which would have inevitably some Muslims. So right. I think here at USC we have, oh, let me think, we have a Turkish student association, we have an Omani student association, we have a Saudi student association, um, we have a Muslim student association, um, and they all have events. And so our students from CIU they're always connected. I mean, we've had actually a couple Muslims say they wish they could come to CIU as students. I mean, it's a Christian college, but they just, they've appreciated the student body at CIU so much. Right. Because the response, right, has always been loving and encouraging. Absolutely. And yeah. Great. And that, I think that's, I think that's the greatest witness for Christ uh, uh, when you're first meeting uh, someone of a different faith, because it, it shows a lot, I think, about their character and their worldview. Yeah. And for, for females listening, there is a website I would encourage you to visit. Um, this will be our resource of the week. It's a website called Say Hello. Um, Howard, can you pull that up and see what the exact web address is? Sure. Um, there's this concept within Islam. You know, you hear Muslims when they greet one another, everybody kind of wonders, what are they saying? <laughs> right. And uh, they say, Asalaamu Alaikum. And if you could just learn to say, Asalaamu Alaikum, even if you say it incorrectly, it's okay. I've heard people say it kind of funny. You get a Southern twang, Asalaamu Alaikum, you know. Um, if you could just give a give an effort by saying hello, um, you're wishing uh, peace upon them. And uh, they're ob- they're obligated actually to respond. And uh, Walaikum Salaam will be the response of the, the Muslim that you um, say that to. So there's a website called uh, Say Hello. Uh, it's it's, it's a specifically designed for reaching out to Muslim women. And so let me, uh, did you find it, Howard? No, I'm not, I'm not sure. Hold Do on. you say hello and then type in Muslim women. Um, but this website was designed specifically on encouraging uh, Christians how to reach out to Muslim women. What is the website address? Sayhelloinfo.com. Sayhelloinfo.com. That's an excellent resource, um, and it encourages females in particular to just go to a Muslim woman and say hello. Now, you might be thinking, this sounds like a strange strategy. Um, (laughs) It is, in my opinion, one of the most effective strategies out there. It's 
too simple, right? But oftentimes the simple things, they do work. Yeah, they're the they're one thing that actually kind of sticks. Well, I think that, that uh, women have it a little bit easier because you can pretty much identify a Muslim woman as opposed to, you know, if Howard and I go out into the streets and we're trying to identify a Muslim man, right. it's a little tougher. Right. Because he may be Hindu. Just because he looks like he's from Pakistan doesn't mean that he's going to be a Muslim. Right. And even Africans, right? Nigeria. There you go. There's a lot of uh, Muslims in Africa. And there you go. Other areas and so, but with Muslim women, you have this sort of international calling card, right? This right. Uh, head covering. Right. And so, if you see a woman in the store with a head covering and you walk up and you say, Assalamu alaikum, you're going to have her uh, have a really surprised look on her face. And then a big smile, and she's going to say back, Wa alaikum salam, and then she's probably going to ask, how did you know to say that? Um, that has been the continued response that I've heard from students. They just go up to Muslim women, and they say hello, and they say hello back, and the next thing they say is, where are you from? Uh, and then after the woman shares, either, you know, I'm American, or I've just come here from this country, if they're immigrants or they're refugees, that gives you the opportunity to say, welcome. Right. And that gives them a totally different feel than probably what they were feeling right now. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. If you come from a society that's incredibly communal, right? Women don't go anywhere alone. They tend to go out in groups, mothers, sisters, um, maybe uh, three or four people. No one goes shopping alone. And then suddenly now you're a refugee or an immigrant and you're here and you're by yourself. And you can imagine you're looking at 70 different types of shampoo Right. You're alone. It seems like everybody's staring at you and inevitably some people are staring at you. Right. And probably not with pleasant looks. <laughs> there you go. Right. But all of a sudden uh, a person walks over and this is just for the ladies. Men don't approach Muslim women. Uh, yeah. A female uh, comes up to a Muslim woman and just says, hello, assalamu alaikum. And uh, she says, you know, thank you. And and you could just start the conversation. Where are you from? I'm so glad you're here. How can I help? This must be overwhelming seeing this this crazy store. Um, is there anything I can do to help? And you will have so many opportunities, ladies. I don't think you're ever going to find a negative response. And if you do, write us. Tell us. Because we want to be able to say um, with integrity that we haven't had any negative responses from this. But so far, all the students in the years that I've been teaching that I've challenged to do this have always come back with very positive feedback. Right. And uh, if you're a foodie, and you enjoy food, that's part of it. I mean, you're going to meet these people and they're gonna, you're probably going to get invited to their house and you're going to get fed well and it's going to be amazing. So that's another you know perk of that. <laughs> I know that's not the primary reason, but I'm just saying, I mean... Howard's all about the food. Right. Friend, friendships have <laughs> benefits. Uh, and so uh, I love communal societies where, man, you just get invited and you, you just come in and eat. I remember I was in Mumbai. Same thing happened. I just walked down the street, came out of my hotel. It was like at a w, YWCA hotel. I don't, I don't know if we have those here. But uh, I, I just saw all these uh, men dressed in white all over the street. And I asked him what was going on. And he said it was Eid. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. So we just struck up a conversation. And all of a sudden, I find myself in his house, <laughs> eating dinner, <laughs> celebrating Eid with these guys. And I had just met them, you know, like five minutes before, just said, asked them a question, what is going on? And uh, I had a great time, met with his family, spent like the whole day with his family. And I had not expected that. But that's just kind of the hospitality. You know, that's just the way it was. And it's one of my fondest memories of uh, Mumbai and India. It's pretty cool. Do you know what's amazing is I'm, I'm thinking of the the story with the, the apostles and Jesus tells them to go out two by two and look for a house and give them peace. And when peace is given back to stay a while. Right. This this would work in Muslim societies yeah. to just go out and, and 
share peace and when the peace is received and somebody receives you to stay and when and they don't receive you to knock the dust off your shoes and move on right you could actually do this in a lot of muslim societies i don't know that you could do that here in the united states right because then they'd be like when are you leaving <laughs> someone comes to my door i'm like oh man what's this guy want what's yeah. he selling <laughs> yeah, right i'm not interested <laughs> yeah yeah so, so anyway that's the resource of the week say hello um say hello info sorry dot uh did i say dot dot com say hello info dot com right so we need to find out who's running that website and see if we can get them on the podcast oh that would be awesome so that would be awesome anyway we'll uh in an episode coming up here soon, we're going to get Phil Partial to join us uh, on the phone. He's uh, retired these days. Um, he and his wife, Julie, are down in uh, Florida, um, retired missionaries, and um, they're, they're still um, active in a sense of loving and caring and reaching out to Muslims. And uh, I've been impressed. Like he said, they've been 44 years in the Muslim world, but even beyond their 44 years of experience in the Muslim world, they continue to reach out to Muslims here in the United States when they were in Charlotte and now down in, in Florida, I'm certain they're continuing to make connections with Muslims. So that's awesome. Yeah. Just hearing him, I'm encouraged, I'm challenged, and uh, I hope you guys are as well. Right. And that's it for this week. We hope you guys enjoyed the Truth About Muslims podcast. And yeah. And if you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to part one, and this will make more sense because this is part two. That's what I was going to say. It's probably pretty confusing, this part two. But anyway, yeah, so we'll see you next time. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, yeah, be sure to write in, uh, ask questions, share, spread the word. Truth About Muslims podcast. We'll see you later.